Hi, I'm Dom. I'm going to lead our Bible reading today. Matthew 6, 5 to 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you go, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. This then is how you should pray to him. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm David. I'm the Senior Minister of Dapto Anglican Church. Uh, And Di mentioned earlier that this is a season where she finds herself praying more. I wonder if you're like that. Uh, You might be praying more because you've got more time, uh, or maybe you have a greater sense of your needs and things being outside of your normal control and rhythms at the moment. Well, we're going to spend the next six weeks thinking on prayer. And one of the dilemmas as we approach this topic is that we don't come to this topic without thoughts, without experience. Uh, We've heard sermons, we've read books on this topic, and, and we have lots of ideas and expectations about what prayer is. We've heard uh, some of that already this morning, you know, four different dimensions to prayer um, following P-R-A and Y, or perhaps you, you've heard different systems. Uh, we heard from some of our uh, children uh, their reflections on what prayer is. Um, I, I sat down and I made a little list myself of what I think are often themes. And, and some people want to kick off and say, well, prayer isn't exclusively Christian, Uh, Other religions pray, you know, so Buddhists meditate um, and um, uh, some people chant and and, uh, even atheists are into kind of mindfulness at the moment. And so there's something about kind of focusing and centering your thoughts. Isn't that what prayer is essentially about? Others might say, well, prayer is, um, it's, it's about us as mortal, finite beings coming and humbling ourselves before God and the very process of getting on your knees and asking. Somehow that's that's good for your soul. Still others might want to focus on how um, prayer is about plugging into God's power and his blessing. And there'll be certain Christian traditions that kind of want to focus on that more. Prayer of Jabez, for example, is a book that kind of comes out of that stable. Um, Or you might think about taking up arms in spiritual warfare. Some people might call themselves uh, intercessors or watchmen, and and that's their role in kind of prayer ministry. Um, Or you might think about prayer as being a good spiritual discipline. It's something that you get up early in the morning or um, you keep prayer notes or you have a prayer diary or you you go back and you check or um, I think Martin Luther said I've got so much to do today I need to get up half an hour earlier to pray. Um, Perhaps that's your reflections about prayer or here's another one. It's about praising God. It's about coming or or even getting lost in his presence. Um, I used to be a prison officer actually for a while and I worked at Lithgow and at Parramatta prisons 
and I used to sit up towers for hours on end at night time waiting for people to escape. <laughs> and it was incredibly boring. And I was reading at the time a mystic, um, a guy called George MacDonald, who actually was the mentor of C.S. Lewis. And he had a different take on prayer. And I remember trying to get in touch with this mystical type of praying. And there was one moment where I just felt like I was in the throne room of God and two hours just disappeared. That's a different type of prayer. Um, perhaps what comes to your mind is the sense of being thankful. And again, modern psychology, just like mindfulness is good for, good for us, thankfulness is good for us as well. Um, there's something that, that works against the spirit of entitlement that's so common in our culture. Or perhaps uh, one more, um, prayer is about a conversation. It's about asking and God speaks back to you and you need to learn how to listen to God to hear his still voice. So they might be a list of your thoughts. They might be a list of thoughts you've heard or books you've read or there's so much about prayer and I could spend the rest of our time analysing that list talking about what I like and what I, what I want to push back on, I rather suspect that might get tedious and you probably won't remember much at the end. So I want to ask you, just like I'm going to suspend all my preconceptions, if you can do that with yours, and instead I want us to take a step back and I want to begin at a really simple place. Prayer is a conversation between you and God. There's two people in this conversation. There's us as creatures, and we are, in some sense, reaching out to the creator of the universe, only to discover that he's actually reached out to us first. It's a conversation between uh, the divine and the mortal and the finite, and us as human beings. Um, and uh, there are two people in this conversation, and that kind of sets up the dynamic John Calvin, who's kind of one of the three or so famous theologians you ought to know about from church history, um, he has a quote at the beginning of his institutes, right? His institutes are a book on theology he wrote in the um, 1500s. And when I went to Moore College, they were still the standard textbook on doctrine. Amazing stuff, right? Here's how he opens those books. Here's a quote. Our wisdom insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. And I think that statement is equally true about prayer. That true prayer is about knowing yourself and about knowing God and a conversation between the two and they are interconnected and it's difficult to know which is the chicken and which is the egg. Well, if that's true, if prayer is about a conversation between us and God, then let's kind of jump back to that list and I want to suggest to you that very briefly what we could do is we could divide that list in two because I think half of that list I suggested at the start focuses on things that are going on in us. 
So that sense of prayer as meditation or prayer as recentering or prayer as a blessing that you experience from coming on your knees and humbling yourself and asking or the, the value of spiritual disciplines or finding yourself lost in God's presence or the benefits of being thankful. They're all things that are going on in us predominantly in prayer, whereas there were other things on that list, things about accessing God's power or some people would want to use vocabulary like claiming blessings or participating in spiritual warfare or hearing God's will or bringing the kingdom in. Those are things that focus on what God is doing in prayer. And so I want to suggest that's a helpful distinction to kind of make. Well, at this point, you might be going, that list is too long. It's kind of, it's, it's too cumbersome, right? I, I can't get my head around all of that. Isn't it better to sort of say that, well, that was a, a long list. Isn't prayer just kind of a mixture of all of those? And can't I, to some extent, kind of um, vary the recipe in a way that suits me? You know, I'm kind of wired, so I like that, and, and I don't like that so much. I'm not a get-out-of-bed-early-and-be-disciplined kind of a person, so I, I want a little bit less of that and a little bit more of this, and, and I'm going to make up my own unique recipe for it. Can we say that? I want to suggest to you, I don't think that's a helpful way to think about prayer. I don't know what you're watching on TV at the moment, but maybe you're watching cooking shows because there isn't much sport on. I, I find myself watching cooking shows whenever the wife's got the remote. Um, and here's one of the things that happens in these cooking shows, right, is that you can have all the right ingredients, but if you get the wrong combination or the wrong quantities or you insert them in the wrong order, it's an absolute disaster. And prayer, I want to suggest, is a little bit like that. Just because you've got a good list... Somehow things need to be there in the right combination, in the right order, and then prayer is more powerful. Or you might possibly be saying, well, isn't prayer a little bit like a mystery? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all of those things you talked about in your list there, but, but if you try and overthink them, overanalyze them, if you try and stick them under a microscope, you kind of destroy the power of them. There's something about, you know... Uh, the spirit interceding when we don't know what to say. We, we don't completely understand what's going on in prayer. And, and if you overanalyze it, you're going to kind of destroy it. Marion and I were driving back from uh, Melbourne recently and um, we'd done quite a few trips up and back and we were kind of bored. And, and you know what we did? Um, we kind of pulled out the phone uh, and we found this mix. Um, it was called 70s Road Trip. And we, oh, I tell you what, the kilometres melted away and music took us into a different space. Prayer's like that, isn't it? Like, why does music do that to you? Who knows, but it just does. Can't we just say, well, prayer is a mystery and we don't need to completely understand it? Well, it, it is a mystery in part, but as we read this morning, Scripture and Jesus gives us some framework and some instruction around prayer. When you pray, don't pray like this. Don't pray like the Pharisees or the hypocrites. Or, uh, and, and do pray quietly and, and do pray and this is how you should pray. And, and scripture gives us some frameworks and some precedents and some patterns and we get to eavesdrop in on the prayers of 
people uh, celebrating and lamenting, um, people asking, people um, uh, overwhelmed. Uh, And there's something about Scripture that is teaching us how to pray. Um, Because as we read in uh, 2 Timothy, the point of Scripture is that we will be fully equipped for every good work. And so prayer, yes, some elements of are mystical and we don't completely understand it, but in Scripture we have some guidelines and some examples of how we ought to pray. And so it's not something that we can just kind of like, well, I won't think about it. I'll just kind of hope it turns out for the best and we we can do more. So, what is prayer? We've had a, a, a simple introduction. It's a conversation between God and humanity. Uh, I want to take you now, I've been reading a book, um, uh, and uh, here's a quote from the book from Tim Keller, Prayer, um, and uh, here's his definition of prayer. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and grace which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. And I quite like that definition. So what Keller's saying is, yes, it's a conversation, but it's a conversation that we continue that God starts. And he starts it because he's a gracious God and he starts it because he is a speaking God who initiates relationship and conversation. So if you think about uh, Michelangelo's image of Adam, Adam is not reaching out to nowhere. He's actually reaching out to God. And the fact that God was already reaching first sets some parameters around what prayer is. It's a continuing conversation that God has initiated that will lead to a full encounter. So it becomes... Uh, more real, more continuous, uh, something that impacts us in wider and deeper and more profound ways. And this is how we encounter God in Scripture, isn't it? God is a speaking God. In Genesis chapter 1, what's the first thing God does? He speaks. And God said. In fact, the second and the third and, and the thing God does every day is He speaks. And God said. God is a God who initiates relationship with humanity by speaking. And we read in Genesis 1 that God speaks six days. You would anticipate six times, but no, seven times God speaks. And and the number here means perfection or there's something complete about his communication. God is a speaking God who initiates relationship with us. Well, if that's what prayer is, let's just reflect for a moment on that human experience, that human side of what's going on in prayer. And I want to go back to that list. And I want to say, yeah, there are some helpful things on that list. Prayer does recenter us. It does help us um, focus on what's important and what's not. Prayer is helpful in that It causes us to ask. It reminds us that we are finite, that we aren't in control. Uh, I I think that's actually one of the things spiritually that's very helpful about this season. Uh, Westerners love to think that we can control. 
Um, and I think part of why our culture is all at sea at the moment is because we aren't in control. Um, we want a virus. Uh, sorry, we want an antidote. And we, and we want it yesterday. And we're upset at medicine and we're upset at wherever the Chinese or wherever the virus came from. And we want to blame and we want to control. And, and prayer is a reminder that actually we're not in control, that God is, and we need to come and ask. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. And, and Paul talks about how physical training is of some value, but spiritual disciplines are of greater value. Uh, prayer is about the sense of um, praising God and focusing on him and about being thankful. And uh, here's another quote from Tim Keller as he's reflecting on that human side, that existential side of prayer. He says this, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. I like that. It's the only entryway. We live in a very self-obsessed culture. And there are people telling us all the time there's lots of pathways into self-knowledge. You can meditate, you can get in touch with your passions, you can um, take up a hobby, you can go on a hike in the Himalayas, um, you can go see a psychologist. Um, it, there are many ways for you to get in touch with your inner self. But Keller says, no, 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 prayer is the only entryway. Why? Because it's not just your impression of what's going on inside you. That's very circular. That's very closed. No, it's a conversation with God that leads you to see things about what you are doing and what you value and what you're passionate about. That's why it's a pathway into self-knowledge. It's also the main way we experience deep change the reordering of our loves, Keller says. And I love that part of the quote too. If Marianne, my wife, loves to watch cooking shows, she doesn't love to watch them. Actually, our internet isn't working properly yet, and so we find ourselves having to watch free-to-air TV. And my goodness, isn't that repetitive? And so she's watching cooking shows, and you know what I kind of find myself drawn... That's, this is the channel I'm not switching to, but the one I, I least want to switch away from is like those shows where they do up cars, custom cars, right? I've done up an EH, I've done up a Kingswood, my son's a mechanic, right? I, I kind of like this sort of thing. And as I watch shows like that, I think to myself, you know what? I should do up a car again. So my son, who's a mechanic, tells me, sales of car parts are going wild on Facebook and Gumtree at the moment, right? Because everybody's got time for that project. That's how they're rediscovering themselves. And as I spend time watching those shows, I find myself drawn into that space and being rekindled re in, in what is uh, a small and, and a historical love of mine. And I'm thinking, oh, I should go there again. Prayer reorders your loves. And that's why you ought to spend time with God and in his word, speaking with him so that his values and his virtues are moved up that priority list and they become more and more core to who you understand yourself to be as somebody made in God's image. That what's, that's what it means for you to be a human being, somebody trying to be like Jesus. So it's an awesome quote. Here's another quote from the Keller book. Prayer gives us relief 
from the melancholy burden of self-absorption. So if prayer does have that introspective dimension where we're kind of thinking about ourselves, that's a good thing, but it comes with a risk. And the risk is self-absorption. Uh, something I kind of had to come to terms with at the beginning of this isolation period that we're in is that you get too much time to yourself. You get too much time to think about things. And I remember the first time after I preached, and um, I would normally preach, and then Monday morning I'd go to a worship planning meeting and we'd review and then I'd have other jobs there. I did all my own reflecting and deconstructing and debriefing after my own sermon and I was beating myself up and why did I say this and why did I do that and I was so hard on myself and I was going around the twist and I actually had to ring up my mentor and say, oh, I'm kind of falling apart at the seams here, right? That's what just self-reflecting on self can do to you and prayer takes you out of that and above that, and it's not just about self-absorption, but it's about what is God's perspective on you and what's going on in you and where you need to be forgiven and where you need to appreciate grace and where you need to change and where the Holy Spirit needs to make you even holier still. That's a great thing about prayer. Let's focus br um, briefly on the other side of the ledger. Prayer is about, and initially I had plugging into God's power and blessing. And uh, if you're from a Pentecostal background, you kind of go, oh, I like that phrasing. If you're from an evangelical background, you might be saying, I'm nervous about that phrasing. That sounds like the prosperity doctrine, you know. Um, I'm not sure we want to go there. Um, so if that's you, I've toned it down a little. Trusting God's action or inaction. But let's talk first about trusting God's action. That's partially what you're doing in prayer, is that you're bringing something to God and trusting that a powerful, loving God who knows and cares about his individual sons and daughters, that he has the capacity to do something. And I, I want to read you a scripture from Romans 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, there you go. If you're an anti-prosperity doctrine person, make sense of that text. You access blessing through prayer. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 10, right? Who is saved? Those who pray. Who's blessed? Those who pray. And, and so prayer is about accessing God's power and God's sovereignty and asking him to work in your life. Now, this creates a dilemma, right? Because we read earlier, Jesus says, your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask, so why would you bother asking? John Calvin has a fascinating and I think a really neat and empowering solution to this problem. And this is what Calvin says. Imagine you're praying for a loved one uh, to maybe be healed. And Calvin says, it's possible, it's plausible that the sovereign God of the universe has so ordained things such that he can heal your loved one and he will after you have asked him. Wow, isn't that neat? That leaves God as sovereign 
But actually God in some ways empowers and respects your prayers. And it's not your prayer that heals somebody. It's God who heals somebody. But your prayer is important. And Calvin wants to take us back to Romans 10 and say, that's what, that's what this verse is getting at. That's, he suggests how prayer works. And, and I find that insight quite helpful and quite motivating at times. So prayer is about trusting God's action and at times what feels to us like his inaction. You also need to trust God at times when he doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. You're asking for some disease to go away or you're asking for some economic relief or you're asking for something to happen in your work or in your family life or in your own in a, um, inclinations or, uh, and, and God doesn't seem to be doing what you're asking and prayer also is about saying somehow God knows best and God hears and God's loving and God answers and he's using what I detect to be a, a lack of response to bring about good and to bring about his purposes. Uh, prayer is also asking God to act even through us. That would be, I think, my preferred way to phrase this. Um, the Gospels are fascinating. Jesus comes and particularly uh, talks about the kingdom. And what do we get in the book of Acts? Well, the kingdom doesn't come so much. Well, it does. Actually, we, we get the church. The kingdom, by and large, comes through the church. And that's the amazing thing about God, is that he brings his kingdom through us as what Paul calls cracked vessels. We're flawed, we're uh, at times selfish, we're um, at times uh, ignorant or um, careless or thoughtless. Or, uh, but, but how does Jesus' um, kingdom come in the book of Acts? Well, it's about the church caring for people uh, and, and healing people. And um, in the plagues, it's about the church caring for uh, the Christians and the non-Christians who are unwell. And that's how one of the ways in which the early church grows. And, and the early church also cares for women and children in ways that was uh, beyond what um, the pagans did. So there's something about prayer that, yes, we're active, but the marvel is that God chooses to work through us. He, he would be eminently more capable, and I suspect it would be much easier if he didn't work through us. But he does. Prayer is also about not so much asking and discovering God's will, but submitting to God's will. You know, I think my favourite prayer in the Bible is probably not the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. I align myself with this prayer so much. It begins with, if it's at all possible, I don't want to suffer. I've got a solution. If we could make it work this way, that would be fantastic. But... Jesus says, not my will, but yours. And that transition is very powerful, isn't it? It's beyond our suggestions, and it's ultimately God. You're God, I'm not. Your ways are higher. Your will, not mine. And you find yourself in that moment in prayer, when you move beyond yourself and you're thinking, what are God's thoughts? What's God saying to me? You know, um, 
it's fascinating that, um, and, and that's the kingdom coming. I think I've said enough about that. It's fascinating that as you read through Paul's prayers uh, in the rest of the New Testament, he, he loves the early church, but never, here's another quote from Keller, never do we find Paul praying for his friends. It is remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeal for their change in circumstances. I find that thought challenging because as I reflect on my prayers for the people I love, I'm usually praying for change in circumstances. God, help that person get a job, help that person get well, help that person struggle with that part of their personality that's uh, less than godly. And, and you know, I, 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 Paul doesn't do that. There's a sense in which Paul is praying prayers closer to that prayer of Jesus. I've got some thoughts, but in the end, God, your will be done. May they know you more fully and your depth and your breadth. And those are the types of prayers that Paul prays for people. Well, I hope I've whet your appetite about where this series might go. This is really just an introduction. Let's just look ahead a little bit about where we're going to go over the next uh, five weeks. So next week... If prayer is a conversation that God begins with his word and with grace, we better think about prayer and the word. The week after that, we're going to think about what does prayer change. Then, for two weeks after that, I want to go to some offbeat passages and say some less said things about prayer. I want to go to Proverbs 19 and talk about continuous prayer. And then I want to go to Jacob and his wrestling with God, and I want to think about how you wrestle with God in prayer. And maybe that's something that um, you could use some, some coaching tips on as you're wrestling with God in prayer in this particular season. And then lastly, the 31st of May is Pentecost, and so prayer and the Holy Spirit. And we might explore that question of how is it that we hear and what is the spirit's role um, in speaking to us and us hearing the voice of God it's a very uh, topical question at the moment so that's where we're going but I want to leave you with a different question and that's this what is your continuous conversation with God like just at the moment because he's reaching out to you He's begun a conversation and he wants that conversation to continue. I think about marriage in some ways as a continuous conversation between myself and my wife. And we're working out what does it mean to be a husband, what does it mean to be a wife, what does it mean to be a couple, what does it mean to be an individual, what does it mean to be somebody who's submitting to the other, um, what does it mean to be a parent, what do we do with our finances? What do we do with our disposable time? Where do we serve? Where do we work? There's, there's an ongoing conversation. And, and here's how the conversation works. There are times where the conversation is tense and there are times where the conversation is rich. And then there are times where the conversation is kind of um, silent. We're not actually technically speaking about much. And that silence is comfortable because it feels like we're on the same page. But you know what? that comfortable silence has a way of drifting into uncomfortable silence and then awkward silence.
Where's your conversation with God? Is it active? Is it in comfortable silence? Is it in uncomfortable silence? Or is it in awkward silence? Have you distracted yourself in this season with cooking shows or car shows or games on your phone or Netflix or whatever it might be? And God just, his hand's reaching out, but you're not reaching back. I want to suggest to you that in the solitude of coronavirus, this would be a great time to move out of awkward and uncomfortable silence and back into an ongoing conversation with God. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you're a speaking God, that you're a God who takes initiative, that you've reached out to us in relationship and with words and you want us to bring our thoughts, our feelings, the things that are plaguing our minds and overwhelming our hearts, you want us to bring them to you. And God, we just want to pray that wherever our conversation is with you, that over the next five or six weeks, we might sense that conversation becomes more intense, more life-giving, more full, more rich. That we might sense that we are hearing and talking and walking with you more closely. And God, that we are under your blessing and in step with your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.